It's Golden Hour Adventure Time, featuring everyday people doing extraordinary things. From the peaks of victory to the valleys of defeat, these are their stories. Now, from the back of the pack, your hosts, Justin and Robbie. It's Golden Hour Adventure Time. Today's guest is Jordan Ricks. I've known Jordan for a while. He, um, ultra runner from Colorado. But first, Justin and I forced to get a ask for some reviews and some who knows what else stuff. Yeah, we got a big borrow and steal. <laughs> We're going to beg you. We're going to borrow a little bit of your time. And then I don't know where the steel is going to come in. We'll figure that out later. But we got the we'll big steal your heart. Down. Yeah, steal your heart. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> if you like this podcast or any of the other podcasts, please get on whatever podcasting platform that you listen to leave us a review it helps others find this particular one or others and so we want to grow our audience and our audience has grown through you so please leave us a review good bad and different we don't care except we only take the good ones <laughs> <laughs> all righty well jordan ricks welcome to the show how are you thanks for having me you're welcome so uh, tell us a little about, bit about your background in running. Um, I, I, my, my, my background in running goes, kind of goes way back. Um, my dad, uh, my dad was an ultra runner. Um, he ran his first ultra, uh, in the late nineties is the Sunmar 50 in Huntsville state park. So I was raised with running. I was raised with trail and ultra running. Um, I ran, I ran cross country in high school. Um, and hold on one second. I, let me interrupt. I, that's, that's, that's odd that your, your dad, and not odd that your dad run ran, has ran an ultra, but it's not very heard of that. This is a kind of a family venture. Like you've heard of parents running marathons and stuff before, but never an ultra, you know, but our sport is getting older and older by the year. But, and so it's kind of interesting to hear that your dad was an ultra runner as well. So, cause you don't hear that from a lot of people. No, certainly not. Um, I mean, I've been around the sport for quite some time. Uh, you know, when my dad was running, uh, back in the eighties, it was, uh, it was a new sport. Um, I love to tell that story, you know, that I was raised with ultra running. Um, so my dad, as I was mentioning, um, ran his, his first ultra in the late eighties, um, started running Leadville, um, ran collegiate peaks a number of times, San Juan solstice, you know, back in the nineties, you know, in the, in, 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 in some of the, some of those events inaugural years. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, for me, it's been a lot of fun just to kind of watch and observe, you know, the growth of ultra running, the evolution of ultra running. Um, and it goes back, you know, um, to my dad in the late eighties. Um, so yeah, anyway, I, uh, was raised with it. I ran cross country, um, cause you know, we we're a family of runners. We were kind of expected to run. Um, my two older brothers were exceptional cross country runners. Um, I was a, I was a good runner. Um, but I just didn't really like running that much. I played basketball. I was a good basketball player. Um, and then, uh, you know, after, after, after graduating high school, I ran, um, the, uh, it was the mosquito, the, the mosquito marathon at the time. I think it was 2002, 2001. Um, that was my first, I guess, real big trail event. You know, back in the day, we would run like the turquoise 15K, 
Um, you know, we'd run a lot of like local uh, trail running events, Pikes Peak Roadrunner trail running events. Um, so, you know, we go way back with trail running. Um, but I ran the Mosquito Marathon in, in my early 20s. I was just about to get married. Then I had gained some weight. I was working, going to school, gained some weight. Figured the best way to lose some weight was to just begin training for a marathon. So I ran the marathon with my sister. Um, and it was the most miserable marathon of my life. Um, I ran the marathon, completed it. Uh, my dad whipped my ass. Uh, my sister had to wait for me the whole day. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, finished the race um, and said I would never run again. Um, so I think it was probably seven or eight years uh, that uh, I took a break from running. I might have run, you know, 10 to 20 miles in seven years and was living overseas, uh, teaching in Nigeria, my wife and I, and uh, had met a buddy who had run for Adam State, a sub four minute miler. Cool, cool guy. And he had gained some weight. And so we decided we couldn't, you know, be, you know, come from these running families, having run a sub four, four minute mile and just be kind of getting old and fat. So um, we came up with the competition to lose some weight and uh um i knew how to lose weight and that was just running mile after mile after mile so um being kind of competitive um i certainly wanted to win the competition so that's when i got back into running um i started running 30 40 miles a week just to lose some weight and i realized um you know how important running was to me um how important it was psychologically spiritually and i was teaching at the time uh, I always joke that I wanted to choke my students less uh, <laughs> got up and went for a run in the morning. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I kind of, I, I kind of fell back into running in my mid to late twenties, uh, after taking a long break, uh, just trying to lose some weight and, um, fell in love with, with it immediately. And, uh, it's been, you know, 12, 13 years, uh, without a break of solid training and, you know, getting up and running five, six days a week, um, and, uh, you know, developing a love for running. So, um, yeah, it's a little bit of my background in terms of, of running. So you were running over in Nigeria. Is that what you said? Yeah. My wife and I were teaching at the American international school of Abuja. Um, we had both graduated from Colorado college, with our master's in education. And we took a position, um, the both of us, um, at the, uh, American school there. And, um, yeah, we just ran on the track. I mean, I would just okay. log miles on the track. Um, uh, we had a nice track at the school and, um, it wasn't really, I mean, I guess it was kind of, I mean, it wasn't very safe to run in Abuja. <laughs> uh, there were, you know, lots of cases of people being kidnapped and, um, you know, expatriates um, being kidnapped while out running. So um, I was quite content on just putting on some music and zoning out on the track and logging miles. Um, circle after circle. So, yeah, yeah, fell in love with it. I mean, I was running 40, 50, 60 miles a week. Uh, there were a couple of other guys who joined us in the competition. Um, I had heard, I had read an article or something about you know how to structure an appropriate weight loss competition they said you have to have real money involved so we got a couple <laughs> hundred bucks involved and then if 
Uh, we, and then we did it based on we did it based on weight loss uh, percentage. Um, so we weighed ourselves at the beginning and uh, had three or four guys involved. But if you doubled someone's weight loss percentage, then they had to pay you double. So, um, so I just wanted to bury these guys, you know, they were my buddies, um, (laughs) wanted to bury them and talk shit. And that's exactly what I did. So I started logging, I started running long runs on the track, uh, 14, 15, 16 miles for me, that was longer, you know, having not run for six or seven years, um, there would always be like a great competitive, uh, you know, soccer game on the pitch. Uh, it was one of the better, you know, soccer fields um, in the uh, in the capital city, and so I would just run and watch them play soccer, um, and uh, you know they were certain to watch me run loops, you know, for hours. Probably, probably um, who's this guy uh, that's out here running the entire time we're playing? <laughs> yeah, they, we we both enjoyed each other's company. So, did you switch directions, or did you just always one direction? No, I don't. I don't know what it is. I have a hard time running the opposite direction on a track. Um, so yeah, I was, I, you know, I'm, I, I run quite a few miles on the track. I like the track, you know, living in Woodland Park at 80, 8,500 feet, um, the trails get pretty icy and, um, even like the rec path in town gets kind of icy. And so oftentimes, um, just, to not think about the terrain that I'm running on and to just zone out, I'll, I'll run on the track. So it's pretty common for me to run on the track. Um, but one direction only, uh, I don't, I don't, I don't switch it up at all. Man. It's gotta be crazy. <laughs> I can't imagine. <laughs> you know, you watch those like 24 hour track competitions and then it's just like, how do they do it? I just, I don't, I, the track doesn't bother me for like speed workouts or a couple miles, but man, I couldn't imagine doing 15, 16 miles on trail on track. Well, I, after living in Nigeria, my wife and I, we, we moved to Saudi Arabia. We took a year off. We lived in the back of a Honda element and then we moved to Saudi Arabia and, uh, I lived in Saudi Arabia for four years and, uh, I was, I was running, you know, 50 plus miles a week for the four years that I was living there. And, uh, I got really used to running on treadmills, running on tracks, running on single mile loops on the compound that I lived, um, never running on trail. So, um, I've run, you know, I, I, I oftentimes run my long runs on a treadmill, you know, three, four, five hours on a treadmill. I've developed a love and appreciation for the treadmill, which yeah. I know in the an ultra running community is scoffed at a little bit, but, um, you know, I have a, you know, a fondness for the treadmill. So, yeah, I just did. I just did a race and a lot of my training, I'd probably say 70, 75% of it was done on the treadmill. So it is what yeah. it is. Yeah. Yeah. You got to do what you got to do. So. Yeah, exactly. If it's negative me, it's like, 50 if outside, it's you want to... outside <laughs> the wind is howling. Um, there's a lot tougher people than me. Um, I'm just inclined to get on the treadmill in the, uh, I've got one in my, um, in my garage. So I'm happy to just hop on the treadmill in the garage. Um, but I've learned the hard way that that's not great training as well. Yeah. Uh, I was just at black canyons this last weekend and I was doing 80 to 90% of my runs on the treadmill and, uh, it was a tough race to say the least. Yeah. So how'd you, how'd you fare at black canyons? Well, for me, um, I, I, we, I went down with, uh, 
Oh, so Revenant, Revenant Running, uh, friends, um, and uh, rented a house. Um, six or seven of of, of, of of us ran the 100K, and then three of us ran the 60K. I originally signed up for the 100K and then dropped down to the 60K a few weeks before the race. Um, I had a cold or some, some type of upper respiratory that was kind of difficult to get over. So I decided it would be best just to drop down to the 60K. Um, and I was there really to support the other runners. Um, I don't know if you know much about the race, but it's logistically challenging. It's point to point, um, with yeah. shuttles in, 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 in every which direction. So, um, I was just happy to drop down to the 60 K and crew and help out with the logistics of the other runners that had joined me. So, um, I didn't fare well. I got out on the, I, I got out on the course. Um, I hadn't run any downhill miles, um, most of that course is a downhill course. Um, and, uh, my Achilles had been, had been, uh, causing me trouble for a few weeks. Um, I had gone down to Arizona with my dad, him and I, uh, like to through hike together. And, um, we threw down a bunch of miles on the Arizona trail. And it seems like anytime I get off the trail, uh, anytime I get off of through hiking, I have a difficult time, like with my Achilles and with my calves. So, um, went down to Arizona with him and, uh, came home and I just struggled with my Achilles and rather than, um, struggle through the 60 K course at mile 20, I decided it was, uh, it was just best not to continue. My Achilles was getting worse and worse as the day progressed. Um, and so I just, decided to call it at 20. So I DNF'd at 20. Okay. Uh, you know, if it, you know, I was kind of struggling with my hamstrings on the downhill, I began to cramp, but you know, that's nothing new. Uh, I've experienced that, you know, countless times. Um, but the Achilles is a different type of potential injury. So, um, to me, it made no sense to continue to me. It made sense to just call it. And, uh, so, um, yeah, I was finished at 20 and, uh, just had to chalk it up as a learning lesson, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt your story. I just was interested because I, <laughs> me and Robbie pretty much live streamed the whole thing. Uh, I mean, from, well, I woke up here at five 30 and turned it on. So that's seven 30, the race, I saw the third wave starting and then, um, I, I watched till the end of the the 1 a.m., which was 11 here, so it wasn't too bad. But, yeah, I, I was just on when they turned off the stream. So <laughs> I, was, I was there in spirit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a, it, it, it's an exceptional race. <clears throat> you know, I was excited more so by the level of competition and just observing the race on Saturday than, you know, my race on Sunday. So it was a lot of fun for me and some of my – some of my friends that traveled with me to just go from aid station to aid station and watch these guys, you know, throw down, you know, um, there was a lot of, you know, interesting runners, some fast marathon runners who, th who threw their name into the hat and, uh, you know, tested themselves against some of the best runners in the United States. So it was just a lot of fun for us. 
Uh, I went into Sunday quite exhausted just by the excitement of the race on Sun on on Saturday. So yeah, yeah. I can understand um, that. Yeah, were you were you uh, into the aid stations to watch the elites come through? Yeah, yeah, we were. Um, we um, yeah, there were nine of us who went down to uh, the event. Um, there, you know, like I, I don't know if you know um, Dean. Uh, Abel, Melissa Rogers, um, they're, you know, local runners, um, with incredible potential. Um, Melissa has this incredible story. Um, she's got this twin sister who is an ultra runner, who's been an ultra runner. Um, anyway, uh, without going into too much detail, it was a lot of fun to watch the two of them who were exceptional runners, you know, place in the top 20, um, so we were down there just kind of crewing them. Um, so going from point to point, crewing them, um, and getting to see the, the, the front runners, uh, at each aid station. So, um, for me, I'm, I, I love the sport. And so it was a lot of fun just to see them, you know, racing and, you know, watching the splits throw, you know, throwing down, uh, it, it was, uh, it was badass. It was a cool race. Those guys were flying. So were the women. Flying, was it, uh, yeah, flying. I, I was watching. Uh, what do you think of Heather Jackson? Man, those the, the three the, the the women who took place in the top three were such exceptional runners. Um, coming into that last aid station all together, um, as a fan of ultra running, um, I was at the finish line before they came through, um, and it was just I, I, I just just to see those women race uh was 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 a lot of fun for me so we got to see all three women finish uh so you know i it, it's hard to be you know it's hard to spectate the sport but uh you know black canyons ultra and aerovipa is doing you know arguably the best work in the united states in terms of making it accessible to um you know the fans so yeah they're doing um, a great job yeah, it was cool to be down there and see those three ladies race to the finish and not know who was going to finish. So, yeah, it was cool. Yeah, it was cool to, I mean, on the tracking side, uh, the the tracking was a little, for the, you know, the top runners, the tracking was pretty good. Um, but when the three came through, um, I'm not, I can't remember that last aid station, Doe Springs. Yeah. And uh, I was at the running store and I was like, well, they got, you know, four miles to go and then, I had to sit there and wait for him and watch him come through. That was, it was so cool to see him all, you know, just come through. <laughs> it's cool to see him the live stream. Yeah. It, it, and not too often in ultra running, does it come down to the last four or five miles? So anytime there is an opportunity uh, to just watch, you know, to be a part of a race where it comes down to the last four or five miles is, um, is really, is really cool. It's really you know, it's really awesome to be a, a, a to, to be a part of it because, you know, you I mean, we all know where those, you know, where how those women are feeling, you know what I'm saying? And uh, to to have to hammer those last four to five miles into the last aid station, to have to race those last four to five miles, it doesn't happen that often. So, for it to happen at one of the most competitive events, uh, I mean, in recent history, you know, arguably one of the most competitive events ever um, was really cool. So, you know, 
oftentimes it's like a, you know, like the leader is a, an hour ahead of everyone, you know, or 20 minutes yeah. ahead and yeah. there's not really much to spectate. So, um, this was exceptional. For me, it was, a just Heather didn't have to, you know, run that race to get a golden ticket. Cause she already had her entry to Western States for her to gut it out and just show, show the world what's up. That was just something for me to, it was inspirational actually. She yeah. kind of just fell back and took fourth or fifth, you know, but she stuck right up there and tried to keep up with Keely. It's uh yeah, it's amazing to me. Um, you know, the thing that I probably noticed the very most was I remember as a kid, uh, you know, when I, when I was 10, 11, 12, 13 years of age, it was predominantly just, you know, 40 year old men, um, racing one another. And, uh, so I, I've, I've noticed over the course of the last 10 years, the sport become increasingly younger. Um, so having, you know, directed races for the last six or seven years, I've gotten to know like the Western States team and to see those, you know, teenaged kids, you know, racing, um, on the national stage, um, getting faster, uh, bringing a certain youthfulness to the sport has been kind of exciting to me. So when I was down at black Canyons ultra, I mean, it was all a bunch of, you know, 20 twenties, maybe early thirties, uh, your aged people just, just, you know, throwing down. So it, it, it's been kind of cool to see the sport transform over the course of the last 20, 30 years to be a much more youthful, youthful spirited, uh, um, sport. So. Oh, yeah, I agree. I, you know, with these older, the older folks that when, when I came into the sport, they were, it seems like they're more conservative, especially in a hundred miler. Um, these, this younger generation, they just, they just go, they just, they just throw down. So oh, until they blow up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I kind of like that. I kind of like that uh, approach to racing. You know, I think the traditional approach to racing was um, not so much, you know, I, 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 I can't say that they didn't start out fast, that the level of competition, you know, didn't, it wasn't the same level as today. What I would say is that the, the 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 younger generations go out there with the intention of racing. I mean, if they blow up, they blow up. You know, they're taking a risk. Um, and uh, I just like to see that they are willing to put that on the line. Um, and for me, I think you know the DNF shaming that's existed through th throughout you know ultra running history, throughout the culture. I'm just, I, you know, I've never really bought into that. So I like, I like seeing uh, at, at races, guys going out hard, seeing if they can stay with the lead pack, seeing seeing if they could do something special uh, or exceptional. And um, sometimes they're successful, and uh, other times they're not. And uh, you know, I like that spirit of racing. Go hard. Uh, if you've got it, great. And we're going to do something exceptional today. If we don't, um, we're just going to DNF. So I can't remember the gentleman's name. Um, he was like a 211 marathoner going into Black Canyons. Uh, he did just that. 
you know, there was a lot of excitement around uh, this dude and uh, he dropped at 20 or 36. I can't remember which aid station he dropped at. Um, but his intention was to see what he could do. And uh, he tested himself. And uh, I would imagine the course was more than he expected or it was in his day, but he dropped at 20 or 36. And, um, you know, for me, that made a cool race. I made for, 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 for a cool uh, spectating sport. Yeah, especially when there's a golden ticket involved. I mean, they're all chasing the leader. So, right. The leader goes out super hot and blows up. Well, <laughs> good luck. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so, you've been, uh, how long have you been race directing now? Your own company. Um, so, I started Revenant running in 2000 or 2021. Okay. Um, at the beginning of the year, um, I started the company in 2021. Uh, I was I was able to host a single event. Um, so I live in Willem Park, Colorado, and my local state park is Mueller State Park. Um, I don't know. Have you run there before, Robbie? I can't recall. No, I've heard of it, but I've never ran it. It's an exceptional state park. It's one of those places in Colorado that just doesn't have the same popularity as some of the other trails along the front range. Um, but it's considered the like sister state park to golden gate state park. Um, okay. it's the trail and running state park. And, uh, a lot of people don't know much about it. Um, but my first race was directed there. Um, if you want to direct races in the national forest, you have to submit your permits by the middle of January. So when I started revenue running in February, I was past those due dates. So 2021 was the inception year. Um, we held the first great divide ultra, which is the name of the event that I host in Mueller state park. And I capped it at 50, uh, as my first event, um, wanting to make sure that the event was successful. Um, and so we did that in 2021 and then we did, uh, you know, we had six races in 2022. So, um, we'll have five in 2023. Um, so yeah. So then you, um, you also took over the U100, correct? Yeah. I've known, uh, Sean Blanton for a number of years. I ran, uh, the inaugural, U100 in 2018. I was living in Moab at the time. Um, him and I met one another at uh, Dead Horse Ultra. I was out on course, um, managing the course. And him and I chatted for 45 minutes during the race. And he offered me a free entry into the race. My intention was to run Leadville first. Um, but I liked Sean. And uh, it was my you know local course. And so, um, yeah, that was my first event. Um, my first hundred and, uh, yeah, Sean called me in yeah at the beginning of the year, um, or the beginning of, you know, beginning of 2022, um, with a few questions about the Ute and how to organize it. Um, Sean's from Georgia, as you know, and Moab is a difficult place to organize events. And uh, knowing that I'm from there, having organized races there, he had some questions for me. So we chatted for a number of hours. And um, a couple months later, he called me up and said that as much as he wanted to continue to host the event, 
uh, a race that he loves. Um, he just couldn't continue to host the event logistically. And so he asked me if I'd be willing to take it over. Um, and I was hesitant at first, uh, cause I didn't want to travel to Moab. I wanted to remain close. Uh, all my races are within an hour of my home and, uh, you know, having directed races for Mad Moose for a number of years, when I started Revenant running, the idea was we stay close to home, you know, the traveling away from, you know, your, 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 your home base is really difficult when directing events, but the U100 is such an exceptional event. I, I, it, the, the 50 miler in particular is arguably one of the best 50 mile courses um, in the country. I think it ranks up there with like the San Juan solstice. Um, so I just couldn't pass up the opportunity to direct an exceptional event. So yeah, um, I agreed to take over the race and um um, in 2023, it'll be, you know, like, essentially like a two loop course, uh, for the hundred miler, it'll be a single loop course for the 50 miler. Um, I decided to organize it that way because it's a difficult, um, area to organize races. It's difficult to find volunteers. And so I thought, you know, let's do it this first year in a way that we know we can manage the event. And then um, we can begin to expand. So I think in 2024, um, we'll go back to uh, Sean's kind of original inception, like a like a single, you know, hundred mile epic loop in uh, in La Salle's. So um, yeah, we're really excited about that one. If uh, you know, if you haven't run in run in the La Salle's, it's um, I mean, it's one of the coolest places to run. Like the San Juans are cool, uh, but this is the San Juans with kind of that high desert feel that you don't get in the San Juans. You get a little bit of a combination of the both. So um, if you know anything about the area, the up, upper Porcupine um, single track trail is considered to be one of the most, uh, one, one of the coolest trails in, in all of the country, if not in all of the world. Um, if you look at like mountain bike lists of the best trails in the world, um, the upper porcupine is always considered, you know, in the top 10. So we just couldn't pass up the opportunity to host an event on, you know, arguably one of the coolest uh, systems of trails in the country. So, um, yeah, we're really excited about the Ute. Um, and like I said, in 2024, uh, I think we'll do, you know, something that takes it back to its original inception. What's the uh, what's the overall elevation of that? So, um, the way that it, it, it that that it's organized now, it's twenty three and some change. Um, but that is the course that I could. Um, that 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 course is the easiest potential course that I could find in the region in the mountains. So, I've uh, I've I've I've. Um, mapped out a hundred mile loop. I've mapped out a couple of out and backs, um, a couple of different like uh, lollipop uh, possibilities. And it could be anywhere from like 28 to 32,000 feet of elevation gain. 
uh, depending on the course. So <laughs> in the first year, the thought was, let's just do it easy. Yeah. Let's no, do that it makes easy. sense. Um, let's make sure that like we figure everything out um, so that in 2024, we feel confident to be able to host, you know, the epic event that it that originally was. So I love how we're sitting here talking about it being easy and it's 23,000 feet. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, uh, and, 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 and most of it is like in a single climb, you know, you're, 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 it, it, I, I think you get as low as maybe 7,000 feet and as high as 12,000 plus. Wow. Um, I don't know. Sean always advertised it as the highest um, race in Utah. I don't know if that's changed. Um, you know, I haven't like, you know, done the research necessarily to make sure that that hasn't changed, but it gets above 12,000 feet elevation. So, I mean, it goes from high desert to high Alpine really quick. So yeah. the climb up man's peak um, is one of the coolest climbs um, anywhere in, 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 in Colorado and Utah and, you know, the, the Rocky mountain region. So. I remember some of the, when, uh, well, Sean was coming up with the inception of you then the first year when he hosted it and people that I knew ran it after they were done was saying that was the hardest hundred mile they've ever done. <laughs> yeah, man. When I ran it in 2018, I, uh, I was in good shape. I, I had been running, you know, 90 plus mile weeks for a couple of months. And I'd been running on the course, living in Moab. I had been training in hundred plus, uh, degree temperature. And, um, it was just one of the most brutal courses that I've ever experienced. I mean, I haven't run that many hundreds, but I've run on nearly every hundred mile race course you know, uh, in the Rocky mountain region. And so I'm familiar with a lot of the races and I mean, it was just brutal, man. They're like the, like in, from like mile 80 to 90, there was like a 3000, 4,000 foot climb that he, <laughs> that he removed from the race. And I had Justin pacing me and it was maybe two, three, four o'clock in the morning. And I was hallucinating. I was seeing things. And it wasn't like a well-marked, you know, well-maintained trail. It was, I mean, it was, it was a cow trail for the most part. And, uh, I mean, it was one of the hardest things I've ever done. The, the time I've been up in the LaSalle, I was just looking up out into Moab, looking into the desert, you know, seeing as far as you can see canyon lands and all that when you're up in that Alpine is, uh, something that i think everyone needs to see it's yeah sean used to claim that you could see um the grand canyon from top of man's like a pretty clear day you know what i'm saying um I you believe could it. see like you could see canyon lens you could see arches you could see bear's ears um the day was never clear enough when i was up there and i wasn't looking hard enough the day that i was up there um to see <laughs> canyon lands i was just ready to get, you know there, uh, the grand canyon excuse me i was just looking to get down so yeah that was uh that it's one of the most challenging courses one of the most challenging places to run it's technical 
you could be up on top of man's peak and the weather is cold. And then you get down to like Jimmy Keene, which is high desert. And the year that I ran it, I mean, it was in the nineties. So it was chewing people up and, uh, I mean, it was just nothing but carnage out there on the course. And fortunately, I trained for it. I knew exactly what I was getting myself into. Um, but it's, it, I mean, the LaSalle's are, I mean, they're, they're, they're unique. They're exceptional. So we're, we're, we're excited to take over the race. I'm glad you, you took it over and it's still going to be around. Uh, I've always wanted to run that race. Just never worked out. Maybe, maybe next year when you do the full course, we'll jump in. Looks like we lost him. You there? Can you hear me? Yeah, gotcha. Maybe. Yeah, it's, uh, it's that mountain internet, man. <laughs> <laughs> it happens every single time. It's usually my internet. <laughs> or luckily, I had to. God, it was my. It was. It was me this time, man. <laughs> it's not a podcast without technical difficulties. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we've uh, come to figure out. <laughs> So what is what are the races? Um, are you proud that you developed in your run? Um. Well, you know, any event that I host in Mueller State Park for me is, um, you know, is is special. Uh, when I ran um, cross country in high school here in Woodland Park, um. You know, that's where we'd go and 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 do a bunch of workouts. That's where we'd go to do some of our long runs. So for me, I've been running in I've I've been running in uh, Mueller State Park for a number of years, um, and so I'm I you know I'm, I'm biased towards like Great Divide Ultra, which is um, beginning of June, first Saturday in June. Um, it's a multiple a multiple looped course. Um, you know, for me, like uh, above the clouds ultra, which is uh, first Saturday in October, that's that's a mile from my home. It starts at the middle school on the middle school track, and it runs around uh, Rampart Reservoir, um, which is, you know, it's it, 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 it's 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 just a, it's a really cool single track trail around a reservoir overlooking um, Pikes Peak. Um, it's a race that, uh, it, you know, it's a, like a, like a system of trials that my dad would run when we were little kids. Um, the Pony Express is this Pikes Peak Roadrunners event, um, that they've been hosting for 30 years that does a single loop of the reservoir. Um, and so, you know, I was brought up with, uh, Rampart Reservoir and the single track around the reservoir. So, you know, I'm kind of partial to above the clouds ultra, um, and then, and then, uh, of course, um, bridge burner ultra, which is my November event. It's in Canyon city. What distances are these races? Um, so above the clouds is a 50 K and a 10 K. Um, and bridge burner is a 50 K and a 35 K. Um, bridge burner is the first Saturday in November in Canyon city. And for those who aren't familiar with Canyon City, um, they have the very best weather in the state of Colorado during the wintertime. And so it makes for a great late season event. Um, so 
Yeah, it's a cool event. It starts down in the city itself. Um, there's a really cool climb up on top of the Royal Gorge Rim. And then it runs across um, the Royal Gorge Bridge, oh, wow. which is um, like the highest. I think at one time it was the highest suspended bridge in the world. Um, today it's the highest suspended bridge in North America. So um, it's just an exceptional course. It's a place that a lot of runners have never considered to be a running destination um but canyon city has invested you know millions of dollars into their trail in, in, into their trails hoping that they can attract runners to um to their region to their area um so yeah it's an exceptional race um last year we put the uh cap at 150 runners and it sold out within a couple of months um yeah it's just a cool race uh at a cool time of the year so um so yeah i saw that uh Arvipa is moving into canyon city and they got a race there now too huh yeah they've got an event in april um i think it's the royal gorge groove um i think it's a cool event um, it's a great time of the year. The Air Viper people have, uh, you know, they've always been cool with me. So when um, Jamil decided that he was going to set up Air Viper Colorado, his race directors, who I've known personally for a number of years, Morgan and Brian, uh, we met and had, you know, a conversation about their intentions and my intentions because I announced Revenant Running in 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 march or april and uh i think that they announced era viper colorado in in may and so um you know we just met with the intention of um you know allowing space for everyone so um you know they've always been good to me and uh i think that there's certainly space for you know everyone involved and so i was happy to meet with them i was happy to work with them um you know to allow them to kind of grow their race series here and down um so yeah they're cool i i i, I think that race is uh is a cool event um it doesn't run across the bridge and it doesn't do <laughs> which, is a, which is a badass climb. Uh, so I'm kind of partial to uh bridge burner ultra, but uh, school race and it's in, in, in Canyon city deserves some love, you know? So I, when, when they said they wanted to host an event, uh, originally they wanted to host an event in October. And um, while completing the permit process, they had learned that someone else was, uh hosting an event in november and so they decided that uh you know they should have a conversation with me and um of course i informed them that i was intending on hosting the event in november and so morgan asked if it was cool if they hosted the event in april and i said absolutely you know like uh i think you know it deserves the love you could definitely have two races you know, in the area, um, in early season, late season. And I had no intention of doing the early season. So, um, I signed up for last year, um, you know, to support them and support Canyon city. Um, 
So yeah, it's a cool event and King City is a cool place. With the you know, the saturation of races in Colorado, how did you go about putting your races together with knowing that Colorado has one of the biggest ultra scenes in the country? Um, well, first of all, my wife is a teacher. Um, I was a teacher before directing and organizing races. I've got three kids, three boys. And so the idea was we're not going to host any races in the summer. There's great races all throughout, all throughout Colorado in the summertime. And, um, I felt like, you know, that calendar, the, you know, the, the, the trail and ultra calendar in the summer was, um, it was stacked. It was packed. You know what I mean? It was busy enough. And so for me, you know, really what I was trying to figure out when I was directing races with Mad Moose, um, with us having 20 plus races a year, it was nearly impossible to find a race along the front range or within a close driving, you know, within, within, within a few hours of, of where I live. Um, while also directing races. So when I started Revenant Running, the idea was I just want to ex extend the calendar. So I don't I don't want to step on anyone's toes. There's great races during the summer. You know, there's there's great races like, you know, like Quad Rock and Never Summer and Pikes Peak Ultra and Crested Butte Ultra and San Juan Sol Solstice. And it was like you can't compete with those events. And 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 um and so the idea was, let's extend the calendar. Let's find places where there are not races that we could justify hosting an event. So um, I've got an event first weekend in October above the Clouds Ultra here in Willow Park. I've got uh, Bridge Burner first weekend in November in Canyon City. And then I host an event in Colorado Springs first weekend in December, uh, Colorado cold rush. So the idea was to extend the season and not necessarily compete with these exceptional races that already exist. As far as I'm concerned, the summer calendar in Colorado is full and there's no reason to introduce a new event. Now, saying that, I think that there is the potential for additional events that are not your standard single-day events, like Trans Rockies, for example, right? Um, or, 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 or trail, you know, the uh, Ultra Adventures Trail Festival, multiple-day stage races, multiple-day um, runs. Um, Colorado doesn't have anything like that. Um, so I think that there's some room for that, but when I was, when I was, uh, uh determining my race schedule, I, I, I didn't feel any inclination whatsoever to compete with already existing races that are exceptional. Let's just extend the calendar. Let's offer runners an opportunity to race through October, November, December, um, rather than fill the summer with another event. So I like that because um, I mean Colorado you can you can run 
all year round pretty much. January is a little February, you know, March, the slush season starts, but uh, for the most part, depending where the location is, you can run all through the winter there. I know I did. Well, my thought was, for example, like with Colorado Cold Rush. So it starts in Colorado Springs at Bear Creek Park. Um, it's not wooded. Um, if we do get snow, it oftentimes melts. And then runners run on High Drive and Gold Camp Road. These are roads closed. You know, these are historic roads closed to, you know, you know motor travel. And so even if they do get snow in November or early December, uh, oftentimes it melts. But it's not single track, you know, where we have the potential to damage the single track. We have the potential to be running on like dangerous conditions. So when I organized and designed Colorado Cold Rush, um, it was with the very clear intention of running on a course that is as good as it gets in December, um, rather than putting them on single track, potentially ruining single track, you know, you know, fighting with the mud. So, uh, you know, like, uh, you know, an early December day in Colorado along the front range in Colorado Springs, I always felt like there was um, a hole for that, you know, there was an opening for that. So, um, again, yeah, I just wanted to, uh, I want, I, I wanted to extend the calendar a little bit. What's the distance on that one? On the Colorado? And half on. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So have you noticed um, with the ultra scene, have you, I mean, the sport has grown so fast. I mean, I remember when I started running in 2010 to what it is now. Um, have you noticed that people want smaller races, smaller trail races, shorter distances um, compared to the ultra, ultra distance? Well, for sure, um, more recently, there seems to be a greater demand for those sub-ultra distances. Um, I think that during COVID, a lot of people were hitting the trail. Roadrunners were hitting the trail. Uh, this is just based upon like my conversation with, you know, National Forest, State Parks, BLM, you know, permitting agents, and they were seeing an like an incredible increase in the number of people who were hitting the trail. So I think today, especially, there is more of a demand for um, the sub ultra distances because I think that there's a lot of people who are coming from the roads. You know, a lot of the road races, some of the bigger races. You know the 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 thousand plus road race events um, that were able to host events in 2020 and 2022 or 2021. You know a lot of those people just decided that they were going to hit the trails. So yeah, I, I, I've seen an increase in the number of people who are running the sub ultras on the trail. Um, and and but 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 also we've seen an increase in the number of people that have uh, hit. You know that that are signing up for the for 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 the fifty k distance as well. So, you know, a lot of marathoners, you know, half marathoners, um, you know, getting off of the road, um, and getting into, 
um, to travel and ultra running. So we always say, if you can, I mean, you run a marathon, you can run a 50 K. I mean, <laughs> for sure. I mean, I, and, and I don't know how many hundreds of people I've met over the course of the years who have been road runners who've run, you know, who, who, who are five, 10 K, you know, half marathon runners who have said, I'm never running an ultra. I'm never running anything beyond like the marathon distance. And then a um, couple of years later, I see them on social media, you know, signed up for a hundred miler. So <laughs> uh, I've heard quick. that a number of times. And I think that that's like, I think that that's uh, generally the direction of the sport. Yeah. Um, that people are going to be moving off of the roads and onto the trails. Um, you know, running those sub ultra as well as ultra distances. So do you feel like what a, in your race experience, do you feel like the 50 K is the new marathon? Cause it seems yeah. like every year there, and I looked at the statistics last year of the amount of new, and I think this is just like on ultra sign up, but the, the amount of people that, you know, it was their first ultra, um, whether they're dipping the toes in the 50 K or 50 mile, whatever it is. But, um, do you think that that's becoming, you know, more and more the norm? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think that, I think that, um, you know, there's a lot of people who want to, who, who run races, um, you know, who want to accomplish these distances, um, for bragging rights and, um, with, uh, people like, you know, with, with people like uh, David Goggins, you know, <laughs> you know, with, with people like David Goggins and, um, you know, figures like him, it's hard to brag today about the marathon distance um, because it's so commonplace to know someone who's run an ultra. Um, so, um, yeah, certainly I think that a lot of people are moving towards that ultra distance. It's that, you know, I, 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 my, 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 from, from my experience, runners generally want to continue to challenge themselves. And so for the longest time, there was nothing beyond the marathon. You know, you have guys like Dean Carnazes who kind of introduced the world to, you know, the distance beyond the marathon and it's become, you know, more and more and more popular and people are more and more aware of the ultra distances. And so um, the ultra distances have become, you know, the, 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 the premier events, uh, the premier distance for those who want to really challenge themselves. So, um, yeah, I, I, I see a lot of, uh, I see a lot of uh, new runners, you know, just through ultra sign up. Um, who are signing up for ultra distances. I, I've seen a lot of runners who are signing up for, you know, 100 mile distances, having never run. Oh, gosh. <laughs> an ultra sign up, you know, ultra event. Maybe, yeah. maybe, you know, maybe they're running something that's like hosted on run sign up or some other platform. But, um, I'm, I'm noticing that there's more and more and more runners who are signing up for hundred mile distances. Um, never having run a 50 K. So, um, 
you know, with social media, with YouTube, with dudes like, uh, um, you know, with, with, with dudes like Nick Bear and, um, you know, some of these social media influencers, it seems like there's a, you know, a greater hunger for the ultra distance and not the marathon distance. So. Well, yeah, and I think that they're making it more, you know, accessible to everyone, like the live streams that Aerovipe is doing, like, you know, people are seeing that, and, you know, they're, they're catching on like, man, that actually looks really cool. And so I think that, you know, they're, they're bringing that whole new aspect into the sport and drawing a lot of people in, in my personal opinion, you know, with the races that they do. Well, I mean, my, I, I've, I've heard criticism from, from, from others about, this uh new generation of ultra runners um for me as much as i love trial and ultra running um as much as i think that ultra running has the potential to be transcendent um i don't give a fuck where you come from <laughs> you know like i don't i don't care i I've, I've, I've received multiple messages from runners saying you know, I've never run a hundred mile distance. The, the the furthest distance that I've ever run is the 50K distance. And I just want to um, challenge myself at a hundred mile distance. And my response is always, you know, that's, that's awesome, man. That's badass. Um, now, I, I wouldn't want hundred milers out on certain courses. I've directed enough races to know that, you know, there's the appropriate course for someone to test their abilities. And there's some courses that, that they don't, they shouldn't be on, you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> I mean, there's like, you know, whether it's, I mean, you know, no new runner is getting into hard rock, but or some of these other wild hundred mile races, but, um, I want to welcome anyone and everyone to the ultra running community as long as they don't present a risk to everyone else involved. So um, I guess it just depends on the race. It depends on the race director. Um, but I think we have a responsibility to welcome, you know, road runners, marathoners, you know, people who are new to the sport to whatever ridiculous distance they want to sign up for. So, um, you know, as long as it's safe. So like great divide ultra, I, you know, I'm not a big fan of looped courses, but great divide ultra is a 15 mile loop. I've got about 40 people registered for the hundred mile loop. And to me, it's an awesome opportunity for people to experiment with a hundred mile distance. They get lost we'll find them. It's not remote. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's a course they've been on. Uh, I would not want to be the race director who hosts new runners to a course that is remote and uh, uh, difficult to, 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 to locate runners, to access runners. I've been, I've been at those events, um, you know, behind the rocks ultra, for example, it's a great event. Um, it is, you know, an early season spring event, but every single year there would be someone, I mean, there was always plenty of people who came from the high country of Colorado down to, you know, the seven degree weather of Moab and 
they would hospitalize themselves and we'd be worried about them and we'd have to mandate like quantities of hydration that they would have to take with them. So I would never want to like introduce runners to the hundred mile distance in an environment where their, their safety was at risk or my, you know, I, I was liable for them. So, um, I think, I think you're seeing more and more of those like big races that are kind of like that to have qualifiers. You have to have run, you know, 100K, 50 mile on trail. I, I, I see a lot of those just searching at races and looking looking for different races. And that's smart. That's smart. That's uh, the race directors uh, protecting themselves. Um, so, you know, certain races require that level of protection and that security. Um, other races don't. Um, and so, you know, there's a lot of people who just, you know, they, 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 I mean, I mean, they listen to David Goggins and they want to throw their hat into the hundred mile distance. <laughs> and so there's a place for them. There's a place for them and there's a place that they shouldn't be. And, uh, <laughs> um, fortunately I'm not directing any races where they shouldn't be. I can manage all my runners. I can guarantee their safety, um, but I wouldn't want to be the race director who who who, who organizes a hundred mile race with a bunch of dudes who um, maybe don't have any business running that distance in that kind of an environment. So probably makes it logistically easier too for you to put on a better race um, with those loop courses. Well, and I mean. Directing races, um, I mean, I've probably directed or been involved in directing 50 plus, 60 plus races. They're nightmares. <laughs> <laughs> They're fucking nightmares, to put it nicely. You know what I'm saying? Especially saying that's something we should not dip our toes into. <laughs> well, um, you know, I've got a lot of buddies who will approach me and ask me about race directing. And, um, I have, I, I, you know, I have to be honest and upfront with them, but, um, it is not easy to direct races. It is not easy to be liable for runners. Um, and so, uh, I mean, it's a difficult, it's a difficult position to be in, um, directing races. And I can't imagine, you know, directing some big, hundred mile race with a single mile loop and responsible for runners in high country that's potentially dangerous. So, I mean, it's a difficult job to have. And, um, oftentimes, um, it's a lose, lose situation. So, um, and, 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 and from my experience, uh, directing races for mad moose and directing races for revenant running, um, it's always chaos, but it's managed chaos. And as long <laughs> as the runners aren't aware of the chaos behind the scenes, it's a success. It, it, it's, it's a successful event. So um, it's 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 not it's not it's not industry for the faint of heart. It's not an industry for those who don't deal well with high stress, high anxiety and uh a lot of responsibility so i remember one year at the when the solomon team 
was running the behind the rocks and they left all their gear there. <laughs> Did you hear about that? Uh, yeah, I was there. I had to go okay. and collect the gear for him, man. <laughs> okay. When I was hearing that, I was like, oh my God. What well, are we supposed to do here? <laughs> it's like an 800 person race, right? Yeah. There are a lot of demands. Um, and the Solomon team had a lot of demands, way more demands than like, you know, like a single individual would ever have. And so they were demanding their drop bags and they were demanding this and they were demanding that. And you want to accommodate people, you know, and especially if like Solomon's going to come and they're going to have their like selection race there at your event, you want to accommodate them. Um, but yeah, they, they, they required a lot of us those two years that they had that event as their selection event. So it was one year just a, was it the first year there was just like a drop in, they were up there doing their camp, um, in Moab. I can't remember the place where they're doing their camps and they found out about the race. Um, I think they knew about the race and I think they knew that the area was great for trail and ultra running. And so, um, they had, um, selected like 20 young runners to compete against one another to receive like the brand ambassadorship or something like that. Oh, okay. So they brought like a, like a, all these applied Solomon athletes to the race. And then, um, race the 50k and then made a selection based upon that and uh if i remember correctly they didn't select like the top dude um i wanted to say that it was chris mako who had won the race that year yeah 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 and um i think they snubbed him i can't really remember i think they snubbed him and said <laughs> so sorry dude Whatever so, happened to that guy? You won the race, but we want to go a different direction. I can't remember. You know, it's a small community. There's a lot of drama that 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 that, that occurs within. He didn't community. have enough followers on Instagram. <laughs> well, that's the thing. He was uh his YouTube channel was pretty crazy. But that's why I was like, what? I just when you said that, I forgot. I forgot he just like disappeared because he had the Malco show, the Chris Malco show. It was like, I think it was like one of those things where they wanted to select athletes who had a lot of potential for improvement. And I think, and I could be completely wrong, but I think that they decide not to select Chris because um, he had a long history of running. And I, I think they felt like, his room or area for area for improvement was just not as much as the others. So, you know, that's how, that's how these businesses are working. Right. Um, right. I lots of incredible runners who are, um, I mean, they're elite level exceptional runners and they just don't receive, receive the same love because yeah, they don't have the same social media presence and following. So you know, it was, uh, when we had Devin on, we asked him about that and he doesn't want anything to do with it, but I mean, he's just a sleeper, you know, he, I mean, you know, Devin, he's just, he's fast. 
I mean, Devin can show up at but he doesn't any, want a part of that at any race and just smash on dudes. Yeah. Uh, no, it and, was. <laughs> and 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 he's he, he's difficult to sponsor as a runner, you know, from 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 the business perspective, right? Because he's always capable of being, you know, top tier elite level athlete. Um, but he just doesn't play the game the way that he's supposed to. I think the best example is Alex Nichols. Yeah. I mean, Alex Nichols is um I mean he's been around for I mean he's been around for 10 to 15 years. Yeah, because uh, I remember following him when I first started. Yeah, he's been around okay. forever. And um, you know, he's a Colorado Springs guy. He's a Colorado College guy, so I'm kind of partial to him. He's the he's the cross country coach. Um, he got second at Western States, um behind uh the New Zealand dude or the South African dude. Oh, yeah. um, he just doesn't have like the same following on social media. And so he just doesn't get the same love. But I mean, Alex Nichols is one of the greatest trial and ultra runners of the 21st century that just doesn't receive the same level of love as the others do. And it's because he's just kind of a, he's a, he's, he's a humble dude. He's kind of quiet. He doesn't have a large social media presence. You know, so I, I meet, I, I, you know, I know a bunch of people who are like, you know, aspiring runners and, and, and they're always like, what do I need to do to get my name out there? And it was like, probably, you know, first and foremost, the social media, you know, sell your soul. What <laughs> <laughs> the social media, my man. So, yep. um, I mean, that's just the way it is. So I think as the, as, as, as running becomes more professional, it'll become less about that and more just about the quality of runner. Um, but we're kind of new as a sport. So um, I think we'll move past social media influencers and more towards just high quality runners, you know, who year after year after year show up and get it done. Dudes like Alex, Nich Alex Nichols. So if you think about the, you know, the, the old school, um, you know, Carl, Scott Jurek, a lot of them don't have a social media presence and uh, they would just show up to races and, you know, win. And then they would just walk away. It's interesting how now with social media that you have to make this presence somewhere else in the whatever metaverse to prove who you are instead of just showing up a race and winning. Well, I, I mean, part of it is, part of it is, no one really knows who's the very best. True. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's, there's, there's 20, 30, 40 competitive events throughout the year. Um, you know, whether that's like JFK or Leadville or uh, San Juan Solstice or, um, you know, whatever number of events there are. Um, what really what what ultra running really needs is like a we need like a governing body to some extent that pays these elite level athletes money to show up at these events you know like 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 majors or um you know they, they're all running off to europe and racing yeah 
And so um, there's no media that covers national racing. Um, you know, I run far covers international racing. Uh, they've moved away from, you know, the competitive national events. It drives uh, me nuts. Yeah, I, 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 I don't, I don't, I don't care about the European racing. You know what I'm saying? And they're all on the top. Most people, most people don't give a fuck about what's happening in Europe. You know what I'm saying? I don't even know what these races are that they're talking about who the people are. <laughs> well, I think what I think the problem is is uh, you know I think social media the bigger that it grows the the more that people are going to rely on it. And I, you know that that's one thing that I will disagree with you on is I think that social media is going to have a a presence in our sport. I mean, if you just look at the way that it's going in the marathon world, like those guys are, you know, and then there's only five essentially big five, six, I don't remember how many marathons they have the majors, but there's only five or six of them. So when someone wins that, you know who they are and you know, you know, their name, but with our sport, like you said, there's 30, however many, and like, <laughs> even in the Euro, uh, European, like everybody knows UTMB, uh, you know, some of those, um, Asian races, the, the, you know, the ultra trail Mount Fuji and stuff like that. Like those are becoming more popular because of what UTMB is doing with the stones and all that. So it's just a hard, it's hard to capture who is the best of the best in, in our sport, because yeah, you can look at North American runners, but then you got the European runners and you got the Asian runners. And so it's like, it's hard to determine who is the best and then you also have to break it down even further are we looking at trail running are we looking at sky running are we looking at road running all in the ultra running divisions like camille heron for instance i know we talk about her a lot but she's probably the best road ultra runner out there right now but you stick her on a trail and she's going to get crushed not crushed she's still an amazing athlete but you know yeah. you get courtney dewalter courtney dewalter is going to destroy her on a mountain, you know? And so it's just like, what, what, who, how do you determine who is the best in our sport without having that, that presence and no, letting other people know who they are, I guess is what I'm coming back around to. So I, I just think that social media is going to continue to be that, that focal point to highlighting those athletes. Yeah, for sure. And I think as the technology evolves, you know, like Aerovipa, like Aerovipa went down to um, Bandera. Bandera, exactly. Um, and hosted the, you know, live event, right? Um, and so I think that there's a lot of, um, there, there's a lot of potential there. Um, because I mean, it, it sounds like the three of us, you know, we sit on our phones during those you know, live <laughs> events, just waiting for them to update, you know? So I think, that there, I think there's an incredible market for it. I think that there's a demand for it. Um, and as the technologies improve, um, ultra running will become more and more and more of a spectator sport. So yeah. Yeah, I guess once it once it does, then you know who these people are. Because um, right now, if, if I'm just going to use Nick Barr, his social media following is way more than his running, right? Right. He's a great runner, and he's a he's a you know he's a content creator. But he wouldn't 
be where he is without that content creation. He might have been able to go out and run Leadville and do awesome, but it's his content creation that makes him who he is and is, you know, showing, oh, you know, I'm a bodybuilder, you know, big build, then I'll drop down and run. What would you run a two something marathon or something like that? Well, he ran so, Leadville the year. Uh, he ran Leadville a couple of years ago or like a year or two ago. And I mean, drawed a lot. He, he, he drew a lot of attention to the event. Um, it, it just draws those outside people that, that just follow them. Right. Then yeah. They, well, and I've seen an increase in the number of bros at the races. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> and that's cool. That is cool. It's cool. You yeah. know, you, you want ultra running to be as inclusive as possible. And, um, you know, Colorado Springs, it's a veteran community. And so, you know, you have all these, you know, veteran runners, you know, the, these these soldiers who are, you know, in the military enlisted or they're, you know, retired from the military and they're looking for something to motivate them. And um, whether you like Nick or not, whether you like David Goggins or not, he draws a certain attention to the sport. And, you know, I met lots of people. They're like, dude, I don't like his energy. And it's like, okay, fine. You don't like his energy. Um, but there's a spectrum of energy that exists within ultra running. There's the hyper-competitive David Goggins we're going to take your souls as we run a hundred milers. And then there's the <laughs> other runners who were just there for themselves. And right. um, I think that we need, I mean, if you love ultra running and you value ultra running and you, and you, 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 you recognize that the, the transcendent ability of ultra running, then it's like, let's welcome everyone to the sport. Um, maybe there's going to be some growing pains involved, but let's welcome everyone. No, I totally agree. Yeah. I mean, just another one, you know, Cam Haynes. Um, I mean, he's been running ultras forever. Right. You know, but, but then it took him to get on Joe Rogan's show about bow hunting and right. hunting. Right. And then everyone's following Cam Haynes and wants to go run an ultra because Cam Haynes does. Well, I like the Joe Rogan experience. I listened to the podcast. Um, and he's had Zach Bitter yep. and, and uh, Courtney Walter and Cameron Haynes and, and of course Goggins, Goggins <laughs> and um, Lex Friedman, who's engaged in David Goggins. Like what? What is it? The four by four, or whatever it is. Oh, yeah, the four by four. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's just it's just broadening the experience, the ultra running experience, to more people, and. Again, there's growing pains associated with that. But if we love it and we recognize the value that exists within ultra running, I mean, we don't, we, we include everyone. We include everyone. So um, we include David Goggins and still in your souls while out on the court. <laughs> so. You know, I, I ran, I, 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 I know who David Goggins is. I, 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 you know, I like his message. Um, some people are repulsed by the way that he presents his message, but when he ran Leadville in 2019, um, him and I went back and forth throughout the day. 
um, I was much faster through the aid stations than he was. So, um, <laughs> but, but, but it was cool just to see him out there. And, uh, again, some people don't like his message, but I think we need to be as inclusive as possible to all messages with an ultra running as possible. So, um, this hard ass David Goggins style approach, or, you know, the Courtney DeWalter approach, which is, I don't have a training schedule. I go out, <laughs> I run, I run based upon field. I wear basketball shorts. I don't adhere to certain, you know, to, to, the, 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 to, to the cultural norms. I think there's room for everyone in it, you know? So, um, I'm, I, you know, I, I, I'm excited by it. I'm excited by, you know, the increased in popularity and these, you know, social media influencers who bringing new, new blood into, into running. So. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I mean, that's why I fell in love with the sport is you could show up at a starting line. doesn't matter the distance in any ultra and there's people from all walks of life there. Everyone has their own story. Right. Um, and you know, as we know, as well as we do, you know, you, you run a hundred mile race and you're, you may talk to four or five people. And if you hang out with them long enough, you're like best friends by the time then the race is over, you know, their whole life story. I don't know of many other sports where you, if you're on the basketball court, you may say a few things to each other, but it's hi, bye. What's up, bro? You know, whatever, then it's over. There, there, so, there's nothing like sharing discomfort on the trail that brings people together in a unique way that doesn't exist in the rest of the world. So, I mean, countless times I've stripped course behind the last runner. We spent two, three, four hours together as I stripped course and we share life experiences. And, um, yeah, their story, their narrative is as beautiful as, you know, the front runner. Um, it's an exceptional sport. It's a beautiful sport. Um, with people from all walks of life, all different experiences. Um, and so, you know, as all of us accept and agree upon, we, we need to be as inclusive as possible because, you know, it's, it, it's, it's something, it's, it's something different, you know, in a world of comfort, um, you know, ultra running is that discomfort that, helps us to feel human for a moment. So, yeah. So with your, uh, your, uh, race series, do you, how are you treating the trans community or nine binary and those folks? Um, certainly, uh, we want to be as inclusive as possible. Um, I mean, it's a challenging issue, um, to deal with. You know, there are competing um, perspectives and um, certainly I would want to err on the side of sensitivity. Um, certainly there's room for everyone, no doubt. Um, I, I just don't know how we structure that and organize that. I'm not really sure what that looks like. I don't think anyone does really. <laughs> um, 
you know, maybe, maybe I'm going to get myself into a little bit of trouble. I'm a, I'm a liberal progressive minded person. And I certainly understand, you know, my background is in history. I, you know, I was a social studies teacher. Uh, I'm a history teacher. I'm a political science teacher, economics. Um, that's my background. That's my expertise. And I want to protect the Title IX of ultra running. You know, I want to protect all the communities within within the community so that everyone has a place. I just don't know personally how we do that. Um, and so um, I think that there's going to be some growing pains. And um, I welcome those growing pains. Um, and I think as a community of runners, of ultra runners, uh, we'll figure it out. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, I think uh, I think it's uh, undoubtedly an inclusive, accepting, welcoming community. So I have no uh, reservations that we won't figure it out. You know, whatever yeah, it I means think for the ultra running community. Like um, you said, there's going to be growing pains, and it's just going to take, you know, if you have a race series or if you give out awards or any of the other stuff, it's going to take you and your team to figure that out, figure out what's right. Right. It might not be right for, you know, Joe Blow's race series or his, you know, company. Um, but in the end, people will find their their place where they want to be. Well, and again, it's a difficult position to be in as a race director. You know, I know Vermont years ago got a lot of criticism because they were giving out, um, you know, gender awards proportionally. So they were giving out like top 10 male awards for, you know, they, they were giving out top 10 male awards and they, I, I don't remember what the number was exactly, but I wanted to say it was like five or six overall female awards. And that uh, race director, a female race director received a lot of criticism that she was given out 10 awards for the men and six for the women, but proportionally she was giving out more to the women than the, than she was for the men. So the community itself will figure it out. That's what I believe. You know, yeah. the community will determine what is reasonable, what is unreasonable. Um, and, um, you know, we'll figure it out as a community. We'll uh, um, certainly figure out what serves the, 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 the greatest number of, you know, the best interest for the greatest number of people. So, um, yeah, there's room for everyone. Um, how we make room for everyone is still to be determined. All right. I think we beat up this, uh, whole race direction stuff enough. Let's talk about, uh, <laughs> mm -hmm. I love talking race directing. That's why I just, it's cool. But, Let's talk about what you got on the docket for this year. What do you, what races you got signed up for? So I am currently signed up for uh, Run Rabbit Run. Uh, I put in for Leadville. Um, I didn't get in. 
I'm over three getting into Leadville. Um, through really since the lottery. since the lottery. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I put in for I put in I put in um, for the lottery in 2019. I didn't get in, but because of my association with La Sportiva, um, right. they had some open spots, and so they let me in to uh, whatever Leadville you know, Leadville series race, I won, won into. So I ran the, Le- the, the, the marathon, I did the camp and then I did the hundred in 2019. Um, I didn't get into Leadville this year again. And, um, as much as I wanted to race in myself into Leadville through the marathon, um, which I think I'm capable of racing my way into it. Um, the U 100 is a week later. So, yeah. Um, um, my wife, uh, she's always been incredibly supportive. Um, and so when I mentioned that I was going to try to race my way in to Leadville marathon, if I didn't get in through the lottery, um, she just shut her mouth and it's <laughs> not, you know, that's a good idea, Jordan. So when I get in the lottery, she was like, Hey man, does it sound like a good idea that you race the Leadville Trail 100 and then on Tuesday you start uh, marking course for the U100? And um, I mean, I knew the answer to the question. <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, I've got a number of friends who had signed up for Run Rack, uh, 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 um, um, Run Rabbit Run. So I uh, threw my hat into the Run Rabbit Run. Um, tortoise race or not none the other one hairs hairs yeah yeah going so, out for some money huh oh I, I don't have any grandiose ideas that i'm gonna win any money but for me personally throwing my name in the hat of a competitive race is enough motivation to keep me training and that's really what it comes down to so it was like with black black canyons ultra or last year it was um Rocky Raccoon, you know, anything that will just keep me training, keep me motivated um, is always a win for me. So um, I couldn't just hope that I would get into the Leadville Trail 100 through the marathon and keep me motivated through the next few months. So it was like, I'm just going to pull the trigger on, you know, run rabbit run. So yeah, I'm signed up for that. Um, I'm running the um, Leadville marathon. If, if, you know, I, I, that, that I, I should be in good shape for that. Um, I've run that a number of times. I'd like to get a coin from, from, from that event um, and then sign up for, the uh, Leadville Trail 100 2024. Um, but for the year, it's the the, the marathon, um, run, rabbit, run. I'm sure I'm going to throw a couple of races into the schedule um, in April and May. I'm looking at um, um, Desert Rats. I kind of want to know how UTMB hosts an event. So They're hosting Desert Rats now? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Whoa. So, um, yeah, UTMB, I don't know the relationship. I don't know if they bought the race. I don't know if they're sponsoring the race. I don't know what the relationship is. Um, is that a UTMB race? With, what's that? 
How's that a UTMB race? Well, uh, so I chatted with a friend who is a race director as well, and he told me that UTMB is interested in races that have like an unlimited capacity. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, of course, right? So um, Desert Rats probably probably could could get a permit of like eight, nine hundred, maybe a thousand runners. Yeah, easily. And so Desiree can fit on the core show. That's a, that's a gold man right there. We'll uh we'll we'll show up. We will establish this relationship with you know Gemini races, whatever you know the name of the org- organization that is running the race. And we can grow it to a thousand, you know. It's like most of my races don't have any more than about 300 person capacity. So UTMB would not be interested whatsoever in my races, but they're looking for races that have a thousand, fifteen hundred. They are looking for races with giant capacity. So again, I I, I don't want to speak uh for uh desert rats. Um, I think that dude is a cool dude um, who directs and organizes the races. I just don't know what the relationship is. Um, but uh, I'd be interested in seeing how they uh, how they organize the event. So yeah. I might go to that. And then it will be the marathon, Leadville Marathon in June. Um, and then uh, in September, Run Rabbit Run. So nice yeah well jordan it's been a pleasure having you on talking about race directing and all the fun ultra stuff so a couple questions we like to ask our guests is what kind of gear do you use um i'm not you know like most ultra runners uh a fanboy of one particular company um, man, I run in, I, I run in, I, I typically, I mean, when I ran Leadville, when I ran the Leadville trail 100, I, I ran in Saucony Canvaras, which are the, like their minimalist road shoe. Um, so I don't have a love for any particular shoes. Um, you know, like I've always run in ultra, uh, uh, ultimate direction packs, like I remember as a kid, my dad would wear ultimate direction packs, you know, like the hit the 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 waist ones, you know, that yeah. that that right up to your nipples, you know. <laughs> your bottle right bottle. Water bottle. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm I'm kinda I'm kinda biased towards uh UD. Um, but honestly, man, like the company that has been uh solid with me is Muir Energy. <laughs> and I yeah, those, those dudes have been cool with me. Um, they've been sponsoring the races. You know, for me, it was like I would run these long. I, I go out and run these long runs. I do, you know, four, five, six, seven-hour runs. And I would just suck down, you know, sugary um, gels. And um, I never felt that great. And I always wondered if it was counterproductive, 
to suck down a bunch of sugary gels while I was out there running. So a number of years ago, I um, stumbled upon Muir um, energy gels and uh, certainly I'm biased towards them. They sponsor the races, um, but they're, you know, like three, four or five um, ingredients in their gels. And so for me, it's like, I can go out for a run um, and, 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 and consume their gels and not feel like, like I'm, I'm drinking Coke all along. The way. <laughs> I love Coke. I love Coke. You know, I love to drink Coke while I'm running, but, um, I need something a little more real. So mirror energy gels have been my go-to recently. So, um, you know, those guys are cool over there. And I've heard of them. I've never tried them. I'll have to check them out. Yeah, I mean, like the 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 they've got two different types of uh, energy gels. They got like the slow and the fast acting, and so their slow consists of like a like like you know like you know cacao and some kind of a nut butter, whether it's uh, pecan or almond or something else. So, like their um, slow burning energy gels. You know, I, I really like on a long run, but then they've got like a strawberry and a, you know, raspberry. And um, the consistency is different than the consistency of like your standard gel. Um, but again, it's three, four ingredients and you feel like you're eating something that um, is not a processed sugar. So, um you know, those are the dudes that I carry with me as I run long, long runs. So the second question we always ask is we're trying to grow our network. Who should we have on next? Or who do you recommend for us to have on our podcast? Someone you look up to or think has a great story, anything like that? Well, so I've been thinking about this question for a number of days now. And, um, I keep returning to a couple of people. And uh, so my sister, Kaylee, um, as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, her and I ran the Mosquito Marathon together. And um, her and I are going to organize an event together. So her son was born with a heart defect. And... Um, And so I, I feel like her, with with my sister, Kaylee, she's got this insight into um, what it means to be an endurance athlete. Whether she's on the on the bike or she's running, it doesn't make any difference. She's a parent, um, and and as an endurance athlete, she knows how being a parent with a child who's struggling from heart heart defects you know how, how the running serves her ability to be a quality parent okay i'm saying robbie you know you know you know what i'm saying like yeah. you, as a parent and uh, you know with children um look i always joke when i go to these races nowadays it's like there should be a male female overall you know, awards, but then there should be like 
the father mother competition. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. I've got three boys. My sister's got three children. She's got one with a congenital heart defect, and she still gets after it. So for me, like, you know, the people who inspire me are those who experience hardship and use running as a tool to make sense of the world around them. So my sister embodies that, you know, having a young child, her husband is a runner. Um, I ran with him, you know, back in high school, essentially her brother, his brother was a good friend of mine. We ran high school cross country together. And so it's this husband, wife, you know, couple who were raising this child, you know, the third child uh, with a congenital heart defect. And, um, you know, for me, like, that's what, that's the purpose of ultra running. Like, like putting one foot in front of the other is purposeless. What you learn from per from putting one foot in front of the other is what's valuable. And so my sister Kaylee, who has experienced hardship with sick children and needing to be, you know, um, you know, a quality mother, like to me, that's what ultra running means, you know. So my sister, you know, my, but my dad as well. My dad's been around for you know, he's been running and he's, he, my dad's an endurance athlete and has been an endurance athlete since the eighties. I mean, him and I will go out on the PCT or the AZT. I mean, we went out 10 years ago when he, when I was 30 in good shape and he was 55 and he whipped the shit out of me on the, on the <laughs> you know, so <laughs> My dad's been an endurance athlete his whole life and he's got a unique story. And, you know, I think again, it's, it's, it's not so much the running that's valuable, but the lessons we learn from the learn from the running. Right. So my sister, and my dad, um, you know, they've been, they've been motivating factors for me. And then, and then lastly, it would be like, so I've got this revenue running athlete her name is melissa rogers uh she's in her late 40s um she's had three kids and she's just gotten back to running and dude she's fucking smashing it so this is late late yeah i think she got like you know she top 20 at the black canyons ultra in her late 40s with kids and so wow. for me it's like for me it's like you know, like I love to see the younger generation uh, show an interest in ultra running and be competitive in ultra running. These kids who are coming right out of college, smashing on dudes in ultra running. But for me, it's like Melissa Rogers, someone with kids who's 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 stepped away from running, who's you know been a parent, and um, you know those are the kind of people who motivate me. So, you know. My dad, my sister, you know, these, the, the, you know, Melissa Rogers, these people who have found running later in their lives. And, you know, it, it's helped them to be like, for me, you know, like, uh, I've got three boys. Um, my oldest is 10 and then the twins are eight. Um, you know, I, I'm inspired by other, other, other runners who are adults. 
who were who 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 were parents. Yeah. So, um. So, so yeah. Anyway, anyone who who who's who who allows running to support who they are, better who they are as a person. Yeah, I agree. I like that. Those are the you know the unheard stories, the stories that don't get out there. That's sure. that, that's almost the sole sole reason we started this podcast is to get people out there that have a story to tell that are the, you know, our open title, rather, you know, Robbie's not a back of the pack by any means, but you know, our, our opening thing is now from the back of the pack. And that's who we want to highlight. So we want to highlight, you know, our, our podcast is the golden hour adventures. You know, it's, it's those, those people right. that have a story to tell and that's who we want to highlight. You know, it's, yeah, we've had a couple on that are quick and, you know, fast and have won races, but in the end, it's, it's the people that, you know, that have a family that work a nine to five that get out on the weekends and do a long run, you know, before their kids wake up so they can spend time with their family, but still go out and crush ultras or marathons or whatever sport they're doing. Um, and those are the people that we want to hear from. And that's, that's who we're highlighting in this podcast. So it's really cool that you, you say that because that's the sole focus of what we've been trying to do here. Well, because the coolest stories, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, it's cool to be fast and young and no obligations and responsibilities. It's another to be in your 30s or your 40s with a family, waking up at 3 a.m., logging those miles, going off to work, coming home, providing quality care for your children. Uh, those, to me, are the people that inspire me. So... Um, and there's, 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 there's a ton of them, whether oh, they're yeah. the middle or the back of the back. Um, I, me personally, I'm a better runner when I've got more responsibilities and obligations when I don't have any responsibilities. <laughs> when you hear that time and time again with these elite level runners, you know, like they become professional they quit their jobs and then they struggle to get up in the morning. For me, the running supports every other aspect of your life. And so I want to hear those people's stories, how they wake up at 4 a.m. in the morning, they get on the treadmill, they go out in the cold, they put on the headlamp, and um, they improve themselves in the process. For sure. So those are the people that motivate me, you know, you know, the, 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 you know, the people, you know, that I, that I associate with the people that I identify with. So. Yeah, I agree. Well, Jordan, it's uh, been a pleasure, but we'll give you a little bit of time to uh, give a shout out to whoever you want to, or, you know, plug yourself where people can find you, follow you. And also uh, give out, you know, your, your race company in the series. So people can go out and run one of your races. Yeah. So, um, I mean, as you guys know, ultra running it, 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 it's, it's, it's a community of volunteers. And so um, I'm always grateful for the people that support me, support the support Revenant running. Um, you know, it is, it's like my parents, uh, my brother Jensen, my youngest, youngest brother Jensen, you know, we partnered together. It's people like Mike and Sarah Hartley, who I've been with for three or four years. You know them, Robbie. Um, yep. It's the people who come out and support. 
the races, the volunteers who support the races um, that we have to be grateful for. None of these races exist without the support of the volunteers. So, um, you know, first and foremost, it's them. It's my parents. It's my Kaylee. It's my sister Kaylee. It's my it's it's my brother Jensen, and his wife and 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 and, and his new kids, his his babies, um, that 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 motivate me to do what I do. Otherwise, you know, um, you can find us at Revenant Running, RevenantRunning dot com. Um, so, uh, yeah, for me, it's about it's about. It's about the people that I can be associated with. Um, and, uh, you know, the beauty of the community. So, um, so yeah. Well, I like it. Well, thanks for uh, coming on the show, Jordan. Really appreciate it. It was a great conversation. Yeah, absolutely, man. It was really cool. Well, thanks for having me, guys. I uh, I love to talk about ultra running and have a <laughs> story and happy to share my series with uh, with your audience. Awesome. Thanks. Thank you for listening. This podcast has been produced and edited by Backbeat Sound. Come and find us on Instagram at backbeatsound1776 or email us at backbeatsound1776 at gmail.com. <laughs>